We're so glad you're here to listen to this week's sermon from Park Street Church. Park Street is a historic congregation located in the heart of Boston. But more than that, we're a community of people from all different backgrounds who believe and are united by the good news that Jesus is Lord. Visit us at parkstreet.org to learn about our community. We're continuing on in our series on running with endurance in Hebrews chapter 12. And today we'll consider the two verses, verses 12 and 13, that we're going backwards. Last week we looked at verse 14 and the call to strive for peace with everyone and for holiness. I want to remind you that the author is writing to a group of people who are experiencing genuine trial and struggle. And they are tempted in the midst of that to give up, to no longer continue on the path of faithful obedience. I was recently reading a, a book by an ultra-marathoner, and to be clear, I have no interest in ultra-marathoning, not even marathoning, really. Uh, and as he was getting into that crazy sport, he was running a race in Hawaii called the Hurt 100, and he was just suffering tremendously. And in that chapter, he's reflecting on our limits a bit. And this is what he said, but how do you push yourself when pain is all you feel with every step? when agony is the feedback loop that permeates each cell in your body, begging you to stop. What's universal is the impulse to succumb, to feel like you've, done every, you've, you've given everything you can and that you are justified in leaving a job undone. And I would say that what he points out in the physical realm is true in the spiritual realm as well. Sometimes it just feels like the pain, and by the way, we are called to bear the cross. Jesus says to take up our cross and follow him, and the cross is never comforting to our flesh. When we are bearing in that pain, and we've been walking through tremendous trial, and I know that for some of you, this is really the context of your lives, even this morning, as I've been walking through those things with you, that it's just not easy to keep going in the right direction, the faithful direction. And this is the situation that the original hearers of this book were in. And the exhortation that hangs over chapter 12, that hangs over the whole book, is run the race with endurance that's been set out for you. And that's what the desire is of the author of this book for those who are reading it. The primary strategy of the book of Hebrews, as we've seen, is actually to expound the truth about who Jesus is in his nature, starts in the very beginning talking about this one who is the exact representation of God and uh, shares in that divine identity and that he takes flesh. He becomes perfect through his suffering as a faithful and merciful high priest. And he inaugurates a better covenant, a better kind of arrangement of relationship between God and us as his creatures. And he now lives as a faithful high priest, always making intercession for you and for me at the Father's right hand. And that's the strategy. It's look to Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on him as you're running the race and understand who he is and what he's doing. But there are various other ways that the author encourages us in continuing on in the race. And we see that here in verses 12 and 13 as we'll look at this this morning. The author returns to the metaphor of a race in verse 12. And he gives this picture of drooping hands and weak knees, pulling this from Isaiah chapter 35, which is critical and we'll come back to a bit later. There's this real threat to their endurance. Their hands are drooping. They're wobbling a bit, tempted to give in. I spend a lot of time at a track these days. I have two kids who are running 
indoor track in the winter track season. And quite honestly, I would be happy if I could spend every day at a track meet. I really enjoy the sport. Um, and both of my kids are running like the 300, which is the indoor equivalent of the outdoor 400, for those of you familiar with track. And it's a longer sprint. And in either of those races, when the runners are rounding that final corner, their lungs are, are just gasping for air. Their muscles are tight and sore. They're starting to probably lose even some of their vision. And they're straining. And it's so easy, and you see this a lot in high school and middle school track meets, it's so easy to lose your form. You see in these meets kind of arms start flailing and heads start bobbing and people kind of start just uh, barely seeming to be, be able to move forward. Eyes are no longer focused and that kind of thing. The best athletes know in, in track that when you get around that final turn, you have to fight hard to keep your form and to keep your eyes focused on the finish line, to keep your arms pumping and your legs reaching and to be straining for that finish in order that you can finish well even if you feel like you can't. And in a sense, that's the exhortation that we're given in these two verses of Hebrews 12. Their strength has been diminished. There is a real temptation to give in, that universal impulse to succumb. And the author gives them some exhortations. The exhortation in verse 12 is to strengthen. In the ESV, we get lift up, and then we get strengthen. Lift up around hands and strengthen around knees. But in the Greek, there's only one imperative verb here that governs both. And it means to straighten up or to strengthen. In running this Christian race, which, by the way, again, is bearing witness to the life of God that's been poured out into us in the way that we live and, and speak and love, that's what our race is. It's a race to bear witness to Jesus. And in this race, we are exhorted to keep our form, our focus, to straighten up, to put those things back in place, to fight against the barrage of doubt and despair and discouragement and cynicism, and to regain this form as we continue to run toward the finish. Now, there's a dimension here, which I pointed to last week at the end of the message, as we took a, a glimpse at verses 15 through 17, which we'll come back to more, when we're back in this text in two weeks, that this exhortation is not merely to be heard by individuals in the community and applied to them, though it is fair to do so, but it's also applied to the entire body. The imperative here is in the second person plural. You all strengthen. And then there's actually no possessive pronoun in verse 12, and so the New American Standard, as it often does, captures the sense here of the literal in a little bit better way, saying, therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Those weak and feeble hands and knees could, in fact, be others in the community who are particularly struggling, particularly challenged in the race that God is asking them to run perhaps consumed by trial and difficulty, and easily susceptible to losing their form. To strengthen them is to live in such a way as to help them to live in the reality of God's love and grace and forgiveness and the truth of the gospel. Often that means through a commitment to prayer or to practical and tangible acts and expressions of love. We are privileged in the church to see so many of those going on all of the time, 
I know the Lewises and so many others have done this for the Brescia family as they have faithfully wrestled with Mike's illness, which ended in his death last Saturday. And I watched Kara Yee lead the way for so many of you who stepped in to provide support and encouragement to the Beaver family after Zach's diagnosis with cancer. So many more examples could be mentioned, and this is so important as this helps to strengthen the weak knees and the drooping hands among us. But it can also mean, and perhaps even more powerfully when we think about it in this corporate sense, bearing up under our own trials, conducting our lives by faith so that just as the author of Hebrews has pointed his readers back in chapter 11 to look at the examples of the great cloud of witnesses of those who had run before them and to look at their faith, that our lives might become an example to others of what it means to run with endurance. John Owen, in his commentary on Hebrews, the 17th century Puritan, he writes this and points us in this direction. He says, the best way whereby this may be done, that is bringing others back to form, is by making visible and plain unto them our own faith, resolution, courage, and constancy in a way of obedience becoming the gospel. Hereby we shall both excite, promote, and direct them in and unto their duty. Living this way in our own lives can encourage our brothers and sisters as they walk through trial. So strengthen. That's the exhortation in verse 12. There's another exhortation in verse 13. Make straight paths for your feet. This is a quotation of the Septuagint in Proverbs 4, verse 26, the Greek edition of the Old Testament. And the idea here is to stay close to the Lord's way. Doing so, choosing this straight path will be a way to, uh, to being established and to flourishing. So the second half of Proverbs 4, 26 says, then all your ways will be sure, or they'll be established. Walking on the Lord's way will lead to solid, stable, fruitful life. Psalm 1 depicts this perhaps better than any other place in the scriptures when it speaks of the blessedness of the man who delights in the instruction or law of God. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and in all that he does, he prospers. Making straight paths for your feet is unpacked further in the subsequent verse in Proverbs chapter 4, which says, Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot from evil. The straight path is the path that is aligned with the word of God and his will. Crooked paths are those that deviate from God's will and way. And we are so tempted to those deviations when we're wrestling with trial and struggle. Proverbs 4 again, but earlier, 18 and 19 says, But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Our family's favorite basin in the Colorado Rockies is off the beaten path. And what that means is that the trail is quite challenging to follow and to pick up, especially on the ascent. And on our first trip there many years ago, under my faithful guidance, we somehow missed the trail. 
which led to a long and arduous full packs, bushwhacking and going over rocks and everything else for hours and hours and getting to our first campsite, which we had kind of staked out on the map so late that it was dark and we were setting up our tent in the dark and cooking dinner in the dark and most of the family were a little grumpy at that point. <laughs> a crooked path leads to difficulty and hardship and stumbling and tripping and even injury which can cause slower or even no progress. And as much as I do love to hike off trail, it's always tougher sledding. And in that case, on that day, it was totally unintentional. But it can lead to scrapes and bruises and pain that can be spared when we stay on the trail. In verse 13, when we're exhorted to make straight your path, we're being exhorted to stay on the trail that is illuminated by the word of God this light to our feet and lamp to our path. The adjective straight here is orthos in Greek. An orthodontist straightens crooked teeth. An orthopedic surgeon straightens deformities in our bones. Orthodoxy is about right or straight worship that aligns with God's revealed will and truth. Orthopraxy is right and straight living that is in line with the way of the Lord that he reveals to us. So making straight your paths means turning your foot away from the crooked paths of evil and temptation, resisting the, the temptation to give up the way of the obedience of faith, and instead to take the path of least resistance, anger, rage, malice, Gossip, slander, doubt, pride, despair. These are real temptations to go down a crooked path when we're in trial. So these are the exhortations. But as we shift here, I'd like to think about the motivations, about stepping in in this way. Because I know that many of you are in a place where there's significant trial, and struggle. So why would we hear these exhortations and indeed strengthen the weak knees and the drooping hands and indeed make straight our paths? There are two things that we need to see through the eyes of faith that are present in these two verses. One is about the present tense reality and the other is about the future. Let's remember again that the key to walking by faith, to running the race with endurance, is to live a life of faith. Faith is the key, according to the author of Hebrews. And what is faith? Do you remember the definition from Hebrews 11, verse 1? It is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. The first thing in this text, if you look at it with me, is the word in verse 12, therefore which is, of course, always pointing us back when we see this in a biblical text to the section that has come before us, before this verse. And the key insight, as we looked at many weeks ago in verses 5 through 11, is that our sufferings and our struggles can be seen rightly through the lens of God's fatherly training in our lives. These trials, as we saw back then, are not signs of God's absence, or of the fact that he has forsaken us, much as we are tempted to believe that as we're walking through them. No, 
the author of Hebrews says, they are actually signs of God's fatherly care and presence in your life because God wants to work in you his life more and more deeply. You might remember if you look at the text with me in verse 10 that we walk through this discipline that we may share in his holiness at the end of verse 10 or in verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We need to see this is the conviction of things not seen because in the moment it feels painful. We sometimes struggle with God, where are you? But what, what we're, what we're to, to take into this exhortation is the therefore that says, remember the conviction of things not seen is that God is present with you in the midst of these struggles and trials and that he's doing very good things in your life through them as you yield to them. And isn't this what we want? More than comfort, more than ease, more than things that feel pleasant to us in the moment. We long to share in the life of God more and more in our lives and in our hearts. And it is happening now in the midst of your trials. So strengthen the weak knees and the drooping hands. A Vietnamese martyr who died in 1855 is known as St. Paul. His name was Paul. He was born in 1793. And after studying in seminary, he was actually thrown into a prison for seven years. And while he was in prison, he wrote a letter back to seminarians from the seminary at which he had studied. And this is what he said in his letter to give an illustration of this reality of the presence of God in the midst of our trials, working his life in us. I, Paul, in chains for the name of Christ, wish to relate to you the trials besetting me daily in order that you may be inflamed with love for God and join me in his praises for his mercy forever. The prison here is a true image of everlasting hell, to cruel tortures of every kind, shackles, iron change, chains, manacles, are added hatred, vengeance, calumnies, obscene speech, quarrels, evil acts, swearing, curses, as well as anguish and grief. But the God who once freed the three children from the fiery furnace is with me always. He has delivered me from these tribulations and made them sweet for his mercy is forever. In the midst of these torments, which usually terrify others, I am by the grace of God full of joy and gladness because I am not alone. Christ is with me. He, my teacher, sustains the whole weight of the cross, burdening me, but with a little and ultimate part. He himself does battle for me not just as a spectator of my struggles. He, the victor and perfecter of every battle, on his head is the splendid crown of victory in which the members of his body also share. The conviction of things not seen. The second dimension of the why, the motivation, is that we are to see by the eyes of faith the assurance of things hoped for who for the joy set before him, looking forward, endured the cross. Remember, despising the shame. This forward-looking dimension is in our text, but not quite as explicit in a way. But remember I said earlier that the author here is quoting from Isaiah chapter 35, which is a passage that's all about the resurrection hope. And this is how it begins. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. And then comes in verse 3, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. And then continues in this verse 
Be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. In other words, when the author of Hebrews picks up these words and brings them into his exhortation here, what he's saying is that this exhortation to strengthen the weak hands or the weak knees and the drooping hands is an exhortation that's given in light of the future coming of God that will make everything right. And, he, and Isaiah 35 continues to unveil that, that this is a time when God's miraculous power to heal will be present in his world. When the tongue of the mute will sing for joy, and the lame man will leap like the deer, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, and the eyes of the blind shall be opened, Isaiah says. And there will be a way of holiness that opens up, and all those who are redeemed will walk on that way together. Make straight your paths. I think that's there as well, this idea of the way. Not only is God doing great work in you now as you wrestle and suffer and walk through the trials that he's allowing you to walk through, not only is he forging his life more deeply into your heart and your soul and eradicating darkness in deeper ways, not only is he doing this work in you today and now, but keep your sight set on the finish line. Remember what he's going to finish, this work that he's begun, that one day he will bring it all to completion. And let your sight and your eyes be on that reality of that reward that is coming. See it by faith. Keep it in your sights by faith. Live for that reward. Live for that final day. Be like those who have gone before us, who are not looking for a city here on earth, but we're looking for a city whose designer and builder was God, who are looking, as we read about Moses in Hebrews 11, for the reward. So they endured. They endured to the end. They were those of whom the world was not worthy. And we are to emulate their focus and fixation upon the reality of God's coming grace and kingdom that will transform all of our pain and sorrow, that will wipe away every tear from our eye, and death will be no more. That is our future. And as the author of Hebrews grabs this text out of Isaiah 35, that is all about that future. He's saying the motivation behind this heart to strengthen and to make straight your paths is a motivation fueled by our hope, our resurrection hope as the people of God. This is reinforced in verse 13 with the why that's given in that verse, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. That is to say that if we continue on this crooked path, if we don't address these weak joints in us and in the body around us, that there is the potential for this to continue to distort our hearts and minds through pride or anger or despair, making it even more difficult for us to walk on the path of the Lord. And then what is lame, which is technically a deficiency or difficulty in walking, but you can still walk, will be put out of joint. And there is no walking. That's one trajectory. But the other one given is verse, in verse 13 is, but rather be healed address these things, step in in this way, that there might be genuine healing from the Lord in the depth of our souls and in the depth of our community. This healing is promised to those who will make straight their paths by the grace of God and through the power of his Holy Spirit. To those who would strengthen their drooping hands and feeble knees. Instead of further disorder and brokenness, there is promised healing 
and we all desperately need God's healing. Are your hands drooping? Are your knees weak? Are your paths crooked? Is there a temptation in the weariness of what you are walking through to abandon the obedience of faith? Faith. Remember faith and the object of our faith. It is Jesus who himself knows what it's like to run the race with endurance, who understands what it's like to feel genuine temptation and trial, mocking and insults, and yet who, knowing that God was with him in the spirit and who, looking forward to the joy that was to come, endured the cross, despising the shame. And this Jesus beckons you through his spirit-inspired word in Hebrews. He beckons you to strengthen your weak knees and drooping hands. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. A bruised reed he will not break. But he beckons you and me to not give up, to regain your form to keep your eyes fixed upon him and upon the reward and to keep running on the straight path that he has made known through his word. Strengthen, make straight for his glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your example and thank you for these exhortations We are indeed marching on the road to Zion. Help us to march well. And Lord, where there is genuine drooping and loss of form in our lives and in our community, we pray that by your grace and by your power that these things would be made strong. That we might indeed be healed as we continue to run. Lord, help us, we pray. Lord, have mercy on us, we pray. Lord, drive this exhortation deeply into our souls, not with a wagging finger, but with a deep embrace and a a welcome. Thank you for loving us and calling us to run. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.